But today, we're using the same scripture that we used when I shared together with Daryl a number of weeks ago. But I want to title this morning, Kings and Priests. Um, And I would like to start off by praying. Lord Jesus, you taught us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, and your will be done. And I pray, Lord, that your kingdom will come, and your will be done, and your name will be glorified this morning, here and now. Lord, I, I realize with trepidation the insufficiency of myself. And I can only yield my body to you as a a living sacrifice, Lord, that you may use it this morning. I pray, Lord, that you will forgive us our attitudes and the labels we put on ourselves and our sins of omission. And like Paul prayed, Father, may you give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation this morning so that we may know you better. I pray that the eyes of our hearts may be enlightened in order that we may know the hope to which you have called us, the riches of your glorious inheritance in your holy people, and your incomparable great power for us who believe. Lord, we don't understand this power. The power is the same as the mighty strength that you exerted when you raised Christ from the dead and seated him at your right hand in heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. And you placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body the fullness of him who fills everything in everyone. And Lord, this morning we want to come and submit to you, Lord. You have been placed as head over everything, over every one of us. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you will have your way and that you will have your say. In Jesus' name, amen. So the scripture that we... I've used last time, I'm using again, 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. So, I just want to put a a proviso out there. So if you are ready for Jesus to change you today, listen carefully, pay attention. But if you want to stay the way you are, I would recommend slipping out quietly. <laughs> Let me just ask, who here would say, I have been changed completely into the likeness of Jesus? Nobody. Okay, so we all have some space to grow. And it's difficult 
When preaching to an audience like this, that you know there are many committed and spiritual people that are walking with the Lord, but we can all still grow and change. A quick recap. Um, we had a number of sermons on, sermons on humility. And I just want to read Philippians 2 verse 15 to uh, 6 to 11. It says, in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. I think some translations use the word attitude. You must have the same attitude. Who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. So Jesus came from being God, he humbled himself and those steps down to the very point of humiliation to hang naked on a cross. But that's where it turns around. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. I want to see those knees bow. I want to see them bow. I want to tell you why I'm here today. In heaven and on earth and under the earth. Under the earth as well. In the, I don't know what is called where the devils dwell. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. So, Today, we had the sermons on humility. Today, I want to focus on pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. I hope we'll get through all of them. So, the question is, why are you here today? That was a question. Any answers? Why are you here today? To worship Jesus. More ideas. Thank you. More ideas. To see God's face. Okay. I want to tell you why I'm here, and I, I've probably lacked expressing that. I need to be honest with you. I thrive on seeing change. I want to see change. I want to... I want you to change. I want me to change. I want our country to change. I want the church to change. I want the world to change. More and more into the likeness of Christ. Romans 8.29 says we are being trans uh, God's purpose for us to be transformed into the likeness of his son. Galatians 1.15.16 Paul says... When it pleased God to reveal his son in me. People want to use to me. Yes, we can be, Jesus can reveal himself to me. But then he wants to reveal himself in me to the world. I want to see that happening. I want to see revival. I want to see a reformation. I want to see the kingdom of God coming in a powerful way. From the first time I became a believer... 
I've had the sense that I'll see the second coming of Christ. Now that's beside the point, but that's my petty thing. I want to see Christ come and rule. I live for that. And every conversation I have, every meeting I'm engaged in, every workshop I present, and every time I stand here, that is what drives me. The Great Commission says, go into the world and make the people my disciples, that every knee shall bow to Jesus. That drives me. And I'm not saying that I've got it all taped. On the contrary. But I regularly confess, Lord, forgive me this. Help me here. Take charge. When, it, when I feel that this is not happening, when I watch the news especially, I get frustrated and upset. But I have renewed faith that I will see it yet and more and more. Jesus said, make them my disciples, teach them to obey. And, you know, I was always scared of the concept of leadership as a younger man. But from the day I received Christ, I'm not scared of that anymore. Because if people would follow me, I'm following Christ. And that takes away the risk of taking people on a wrong journey. So I have freedom to say, follow Christ. So pray. Why should we pray? Genesis 1.28 Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and rule over it. Christ has appointed, the Father has appointed us to rule on this planet. He's delegated his authority to us. Last week, Jelani said, who rules? Do you remember? What did we say? Jesus rules. Are we in agreement here? How does he rule? Through each and every one of you and me. It's nice and easy to say, Jesus rules. Let me see what he's going to do next. But he wants to rule in me and through me. And then the kingdom comes. Psalm 8, 6 says, You made him ruler over the works of your hands and you put everything under his feet. Ezekiel 22, 30 says, I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it. But I found no one. This is God's frustration. I looked for a man who would stand in the gap for the land, but I found no one. So I will pour out my wrath on them and consume them with my fiery anger, bringing down on their own heads all that they've done, declares the Sovereign Lord. That's the Old Testament. Today God is still looking, but not for a man, but for every man and every woman to stand in the gap. He wants to rule in and through us. How should we pray? John 14, 13 says, And I will do whatever you ask on my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. John 15, 16 says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. John 16, 26, In that day you will ask in my name. 
So it means that at the end of any selfish prayer, I can tag on in the name of Jesus. Right? No. That's the problem. We have a delegated authority. If you have your boss's checkbook, can you write checks for your own sake, for your own purchases? You can't. When I was young and I got on the farm, my dad had one of these, you know, double barrel checkbooks. And he would send me off to Durban and he'd sign ten checks, blank. And I would go and do the business for the farm. I'd purchase what needed to be purchased. And, but I daren't take one of those checks and buy something for myself. I did not have that authority. But it was my father's checkbook. It was what he said that I had to buy. What will block our prayers? James 4 verse 3 to 10 is it up there? When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. That you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Now listen what God says. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think the scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. That is why the scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. And that requires the humility. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. So he calls us an adulterous generation. It's like if my wife would come to me and say... I want a thousand rand and I say, what for? And she would say, I've got this guy I really fancy and I want to go out and have dinner with him. <laughs> I would say, what? We want and want and want from God. But it's our selfish motives that get in the way our attitudes. James 1, 6 to 8 says, But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all that they do. So doubt would stop us. Wrong motives would block our prayers. And the next thing is sin. Isaiah 59, 1-3 says, Surely I am the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor is his ear too dull to hear. But your iniquity have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. For your hands are stained with blood and your fingers with guilt. Your lips have spoken falsely and your tongue mutters wicked things. These are the things that block our prayers. And then there's another one. And this is an interesting scripture. Can we have it up on the screen? Daniel 10, verse 12 and, 30, 12 and 13. Then he continued, Do not be afraid, Daniel. Since the day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. 
and I have come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. In the previous chapter, chapter 9, I beg that you will go and read Daniel chapter 9 and 10. Daniel is interceding for his people. He's praying. And you know, nothing happens. But three weeks later, the angel shows up and says, I was sent as you were praying. But the enemy is trying to stop it. As long as we're aware of that, we are contending with a real enemy. So does that mean we can ask for anything? I think the answer is yes and no. We can ask for anything. I mean, Matthew 7, 7 to 12 says, Ask and you will receive. Uh, seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened. Yes. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these other things will be given to you. The Bible says your father knows what you want even before you ask. John 15, 7, 8 says, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. Is there a connection between the fruit and whatever we ask? If my word remains in you. God has appointed us to bear fruit. There's a clue there. In Matthew seven twenty one is a hectic verse. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. So our ministries are not access to heaven. The key here is we are stewards. We have delegated authority to run this planet on behalf of Jesus. It's like a guy who has a farm and he appoints a farm manager and he says, I'm going to live in Europe and here is the checkbook, here is the farm, here is everything, you're in charge. Is that not true? We've been appointed. Um, now the secret is we can, I, if I'm the manager, I can phone the owner in Europe and say, listen, I have a problem here. Can you help me? I don't know how to handle this, or this is bigger than I can deal with. So we have access to the Father to ask for help in exercising the mandate that he's given us. But we're also responsible. So what he's really looking for, Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, Give your bodies as living sacrifices. And then you will know the perfect will of God. So essentially, he's like a driver looking for a car parked, unlocked, with the keys in the ignition. This is the body, Lord, you've given to me. Drive. Are we there? So, kings and priests... <clears throat> the
There are only three instances of the Bible where we have the dual roles of king and priest. Do you know who they are? Let me put it other way. Saul made a sacrifice when he was tired of waiting for Samuel, was it? And God sternly rebuked and punished him for that. So the roles of kings and priests in the Old Testament was totally separate. And they were forbidden to violate each other's space. But there were two kings and priests. And there, there's a third one. Who knows? Melchizedek was both a king and priest. And Jesus was of the order of Melchizedek. He was both king and priest. And who's the third one? You. You. That's the core of today. You. Are you going to accept that duty and execute it diligently? Revelation 1 verse 6 says, He has made it as a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father. In 1 Peter 2.5, he called us a holy priesthood. And Jesus wants to reign in us and through us. So, I just want to divert for a small moment. I want to use three traffic signs to preach to three different groups of people. So the first one is, do you know the no entry sign, the circle with the... So where do we encounter that? Who encounters that? Unbelievers. They don't have access, no entry to the presence of God, to the to heaven, to the blessings of God. Because Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except through me. When they see the no entry sign, they have to turn to Jesus and know this, this is the way, the truth, and the life. Then there's a second sign. It's a cross. This is a message for believers. We come to a point in our life where we decide that anyone who wants to save his life will lose it. But anyone who is prepared to lose it for his sake will save it. Where we have to capitulate and give up our rights. Our rights to our self-determination. Our rights to have our own opinions. Our rights to do what we want. And submit to Jesus and say, here I am Lord. Do what you want. We come to the cross. The third one is a yield sign. And if you've been to the cross, and if you've seen the no entry sign, the next thing that you will encounter many, 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 many times is the yield sign, the upside down triangle, where we come and we're confronted with the word of God and we have to yield. And every time we yield, we are transformed a little bit more into the likeness of Christ. And this is an ongoing journey, yield sign to yield sign to yield sign. When you get to the yield sign, do you put your foot or do you bend your knee? 
1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray always. It's not just an event here when we gather. It's a continuous thing. And 2 Corinthians 3.12 to 18, if you can put it up, please. It says, therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away, but their minds were made dull. For to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It's not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. The old covenant, the law, dulls our minds and blinds us to grace because it creates the illusion that by our performance, we can have access past the no-entry sign. But actually, only Jesus could keep the law. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So, humble ourselves, pray, seek his face in a way that we can experience his presence, whether it's in worship or whether it's in your closet at home or whether it's while you're driving. When you experience the presence of Christ, we are transformed from one level of glory to another every time we yield. We have to yield. We have freedom of choice. We can choose not to. And that continuous yielding brings transformation. It's unfortunate that many people like Frank Sinatra, and especially his song, I'll Do It My Way. It's a beautiful song, but it's wrong. <laughs> Listen to it, but don't emulate it. And turn from our wicked ways. What would be the wicked ways, you think? Any ideas? Your own way? Selfishness? Right? Idolatry? Examples of idolatry. Yeah. Or chasing money. Uh... I was trying to explain this to a guy this week, and I said to him, you know, the Bible says uh, you cannot love both God and money. That's actually mammon. So then I had this picture in my mind. When you're chasing money, you've got your back to God. And when you're chasing God, you'll have your back to money. It's simple as that. You've got to decide which way you're going to face and it's an attitude of the heart. What are the other wicked ways that we have? I think it's the labels we put on ourselves. Imagine you've got a piece of string around your leg with a little piece of masonite, painted white, and with a cokey pen you've written on there, I'm not good enough. 
I can't do this. I will never be able to pray aloud. All those labels we add to ourselves that demean and diminish us while the King of Glory lives inside of us. I'm not here because of my excellence or intelligence or whatever it is. It's, I'm here just for the simple reason that I believe he lives here. And that he has to take responsibility for what's happening this morning and how it impacts. I cannot do that. I can just make myself available and decide I'm not going to be embarrassed. Whatever. It doesn't matter as long as he gets the glory. I thought we would never fit it in the time. But I'm going to run out of pages here. And that's good news. So I, I've often, you come into the service and you look at who's preaching. And either your heart jumps or not. <laughs> so, I feel for you. So, what do we pray? And, and I spend a lot of time praying with people, individuals. And... Uh, it's an interesting dynamic. Nehemiah, in Nehemiah 1.6 says in his prayer, Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant. Your prayer, your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we, Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. It's the basic and most critical part of prayer. is actually confessing the sin. And that's where we need three sermons of humility to get us to one prayer of confession. Because we have to humble ourselves and take responsibility and say, I'm guilty, Lord, in your sight. I have offended you. And there's nothing I can do about that. I can only say, please forgive me. And then the next thing I can say is, thank you, Lord, because the scripture says, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And I find people would like to say, Lord, ah, I know that wasn't nice, but you understand the circumstances. So-and-so was really giving me grief. So people would rather justify sin than confess it. And if there's one thing I know something about, it's sitting with people. So we've got to confess our sins. We read in Daniel 9, Several places how he confesses the sin of his people. And we have to confess and figure out, Lord, show us our wicked ways. It's like looking in the mirror and seeing these hairs here don't want to lie down. And confess until it conforms more to the image of Jesus. If your sins were red as scarlet, but now they'll be white as snow or wool. God wants to cleanse us of those sins. 
And one of the most common ones is offense or anger or bitterness or resentment, whatever you want to call it. It is prevalent in, I think, 95% of church people at some level. So before we try to forgive anybody, let us say, Lord, forgive me my anger. Forgive me my resentment. Forgive me my attitude. Forgive me my selfishness. I see it as sin. And then, the next thing we have to pray is in the, our Lord's Prayer, he says, Forgive us as we forgive them who trespass against us. So we can confess all our sins. But the forgiveness comes when we start forgiving those who've sinned against us. According to my understanding of that scripture. So if anybody has offended you or harmed you or hurt you, you need to forgive them. And we can't forgive an individual. We've got to forgive the debt they owe us. Does this make sense? Jesus nailed our letter of debt to the cross. He cancelled our debts. Uh, so I had a guy who owed me, I sold 34 sheep to him. I might have shared this, haven't I? And uh, way back in Zululand days, and he was a young guy who was starting out. And I said, don't pay me money. I know I'm moving to Freyheit. I won't have a farm anymore. I would like 34 sheep back. That takes the whole thing of prices out of the thing. You pay me over the next three, four years, five years, six years. You give me 34 sheep. I'll just pick them off one by one. When you come to town, when you bring the children to hostel or so, you put one in the car, just cut off its throat and take out its intestines. And I can cut it up and I'll have, I'll have the mutton I used to have on the farm. I will carry on eating sheep. And then the drought came in Zululand and I got two. So and then I realized, and I asked the guy, he said, you know, with the drought, they died, all of them. Now, he's not wealthy, he's a young farmer, he's trying to start up. What do you do? I'm a Christian, I've learned about forgiveness, so I forgave him. But every time I check my heart, he owes me 32 more. He owes me another 32. Until I heard this teaching that... I have to cancel the debt. That is a bad debt on my book. I'm never going to get it. You've got to cancel the debt. Whether the person who hurt you owes you respect or an apology or your purity or uh, love or kindness or parenting or uh, whatever it is, it doesn't matter what it is, if it's a psychological thing or whether it's a physical thing. You've got to get to the place where you face them and say, you know what, today I'm going to cancel your debt. In the name of Jesus, you may go free. And I help people to, and I'll give you an opportunity just now, we can go there. If there's anybody who needs that. We have to empty the jail. We all have a jail somewhere in our psyche where we lock up the people that have offended us and we think anger is the stick that
that will punish them. And I become the jail keeper responsible for these people. And that is what blocks our prayers. I'm not, this is a total different teaching, but it's one of the blockages to our prayer. Father won't forgive us if we don't forgive. And he won't hear us if our hands are dirty. And anger is something we're supposed to deal with before we go to bed. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Now the interesting part. This is the part I relish. In the Old Testament, Moses, he pleaded for the Israelites with a golden calf and all these things. And he said, Father, forgive them. Uh, if you don't go with us, rather blot my name out. Somebody preached about that recently. Was it you? He said, I would rather be blotted out, Lord. I will give my life, but for, forgive them. Moses interceded for his people and God relented. Now, <clears throat> I want to explain to you how Paul came to Christ in my perspective. What did Jesus pray on the cross when the people were nailing him to the cross and then they were squabbling over his shirt? Father, for? For they know not what they do. So, do you think Stephen was there? He must have been there. Because in Acts 7 we read about Stephen being stoned. Now for those that are younger, that means, you know, these round things, people throw you with them. It's not drugs. <laughs> he was being hit with stones. They were going to kill him. They had their ammunition. And as he was going down on his knees, what did he pray? He saw what Jesus had prayed. He emulated his Lord and said, Father, do not hold this sin against them. So I'm sure he must have been at the crucifixion. Or actually got a very good report. Now who was watching when Stephen was being stoned? Saul. And what happened two weeks later? Let's say it was two weeks on the way to Damascus. God forgave him. God forgave him. And it transformed him. The grace of God. Do not receive the grace of God in vain. So what do we pray for people? Lord, change them. Lord, change me. Evelyn Christensen wrote a book about that. The only right you have is to ask for God to change you. But you've got the right to say, Lord, forgive so-and-so, forgive so-and-so, forgive so-and-so. For me, it's difficult to pray, Lord, forgive Julius Malema. But I don't think he understands what he's doing. He may have an understanding of what he thinks he's doing. But any man who blows the fire or hatred and wants to encourage destruction and murder and violence, I believe is the enemy is at work. It's not bringing life. But Lord Jesus, forgive him. 
He doesn't know what he's doing. And when Jesus forgives him, I may not be on the way to Damascus, but we might be on the way to wherever. <laughs> Nkanza. <laughs> Maybe on the way to Nkanza, God will meet him. And turn him around. Imagine. Imagine the fiery man of God he may become. Imagine. And it's depending on you to rule and to reign today in the spirit. God does not violate his delegation. God delegated the authority to us to run this planet. Jesus reigns, but he reigns through us. And it's up to us to say, Lord, this one we can't handle. Forgive him. So when you read the Bible, the Old Testament, uh, the Lord is God, the Lord is one. So from the Old Testament perspective, you get this picture of God is one God. And then we saunter into the New Testament and Jesus shows up. Jesus is God. And a little later the Holy Spirit is poured out. Now we've got three. Why? God is love. So love cannot manifest me on my own. I need somebody to love. And the relationship between God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is one of perfect oneness. Perfect oneness. There is no discrepancy, there is no disunity, there is no discrepancy among their thinking. They act as one, they have one purpose, but they've got different roles. And Jesus prayed, Father, that they may be one, so that the world will believe. How much division is there in the body of Christ? The enemy... One of the names of the devil is divider. I forget which one it is. The theologians will be able to tell me which one, the Greek one means divider or separator. Whether it's a marriage, he wants to get in between and split the marriage. Whether it's believers, he wants to get in there and split them into denominations, into splintered groups, into, into disunity. Because if we come to oneness, the world will believe. That's my passion that the world will believe. That's why I'm doing this. I don't know if it's achievable. I, I, I think it's, it may be a difficult one, but nothing is too difficult for God. Matthew 18, verse 18 to 20, if you can put it up there, please. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Does that look as if, sound as if we've got authority? Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. How much time do we spend to get to agreement? 
I know in the work that I do, I often sit with people and we spend an hour to figure out what is wrong. And we spend ten minutes to pray. Matthew 6 says, Do not be like the heathens that babble, 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 babble. We can just say it once and say it clearly. We can be so verbose that we confuse ourselves. So my, my question is, and I don't know the answer to this, but how do we get into more, into agreement if we want to pray? I think there's work to be done there. I mean, the believers in the upper room waited for 10 days before the Holy Spirit was poured out. I wonder what they were doing. Does anybody here know? I assume they were praying and seeking his face. And look what happened. It took them 10 days. Maybe it took them that time to get into agreement. We often hear that we have freedom in Christ. Do you agree? But we have to qualify that freedom according to scripture. The freedom we have in Christ is from sin, from guilt, from a guilty conscience. We've been set free from that. We haven't been set free to have our own opinion. We have to yield, yield, yield. So, I imagine that God has this massive pair of scissors. You know, they go like this. And on the one blade that is cutting this way, it is us being priests. Charging with heaven. Charging heaven with our prayers for our nation, for people around us, for the people in our circles. And what is the other one? Us facing the world with the testimony of God in us. So we're both kings and priests. And that is the blade. We have to be the solution, but we also have to ask God to come and do it through us. Or in us and for us. And what is the most powerful thing we have? If you have somebody else that you wish would know Jesus, how do you approach that? Some ideas. So we pray. And what do we do next? Live the life. So, I find that most people are offended with church, and many people want to get these people to go to church. And that's the strangest place for them to be. But I have not found anyone that's offended with Jesus. Connect them to Jesus. 
And the tool God has given us is your testimony. You will receive power when the Spirit, Holy Spirit comes over you and you will be His witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the world. So whenever you are in doubt, share a bit of your testimony. What God has done in you and for you. Where He's forgiven you. Where He's changed you. Nobody can argue with that. They can argue with your interpretation of Scripture. They can argue that you aren't learned enough to preach or teach or whatever it is. But nobody can argue with your story. Figure out what is your story. Get a story if you don't have one. Let God work in your life and change you and do something. And just say, my experience was this. And the Spirit will witness with your spirit and somebody else will be transformed. Okay, we're going to park shortly and I only have one. I'm not like the evangelists that have three endings. So I, I need to know something for you because I think if we talk about prayer... We can talk until the cows come home. We've talked for, what, three quarters of an hour. But we have five minutes to pray. So let's be accurate. Is there anybody who feels convicted of anything today? That's just an honest question. Okay. I think there are many more that are not brave enough to say so. So I'm going to pray... And I want you to pray aloud with me. You don't have to name it aloud, but just say it where you need to say it, and let's follow through. And then I want to ask, is there anybody who needs to forgive somebody else? Okay. Right. I will do that. And then... Are we in agreement that we need to pray for our president? I've been told that he is under serious threat. I don't know if it's true or not, but I think we need to pray for God's protection and wisdom that he might fulfill his calling and role and God might use him to bring peace into our land. Are we in agreement about that? So at the end of prayers, when we say amen, what does that mean? So be it. It means I agree. So when we agree, let's say that. Shall we pray? Father, it is by your spirit that we are convicted of the things that offend you. And Lord, today, those who feel they need to confess something, let's say, Father, I confess that I am guilty of if you would repeat, Father, I confess that I am guilty of. I need your forgiveness. Please forgive me, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your forgiveness. 
Father, I confess that I am guilty of being angry or resentful. Please forgive me in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your forgiveness. I want you to go, just close your eyes and go into the jail that you have reserved for those that have offended you. See that you go in there, you take the key from your belt, you the jailkeeper. You unlock that cell and you walk inside and see the people there. And face up to the culprit and say, today I have decided to cancel your debt. I've been angry because I believe you owe me X, Y, Z. But now, in the name of Jesus, I set you free. You may go in peace. Thank you, Father, that we can pray. That your word will not return void today, but will accomplish what you've sent it to do. Lord, we pray for our president. Forgive our attitudes and our divisions, Lord Jesus, but we come and implore you that you will send your angels to form a ring of fire around him, a wall of fire, Lord, to protect him from evil, that you will send your spirit to give him wisdom to rule this country in Jesus' name. And Lord, that you would bless and heal our land. In Jesus' name.